Hey, Zainab. Hey, Meredith. How are you? I am good. I'm very excited about our special episode. I, too, am very excited about our special episode. Do you want to tell our listeners what's going on? Who's on the call? I mean, normally we do like a back and forth, how are we? But uh, this week we're going to introduce my mom, who uh, is our guest guest speaker, guest on the podcast this week. Um, yeah. And she is a therapist, counselor. We're going to have her clarify exactly what her job role is. Because actually, in getting ready for this podcast, I realized I don't know. Uh, fully my mom's job title I always call her a therapist but then I was reading her her website and I was like maybe she's actually a social worker maybe she's a counselor so um sorry mom um do you want to say a quick hello and tell us a little bit about your job hi yes hi Zainab hi Meredith I'm really excited to be here with you guys I am a social worker and um in the United States you can, there's several paths to becoming what we call like a licensed counselor or a licensed therapist. And you do have to be licensed. You have to go through, you know, certain hoops and tests and so on and get sort of your stamp of approval by the government. But my path was through becoming a social worker. And you can call yourself a therapist or a, or a counselor? Both. Exactly. Therapist and counselor are two words that are pretty much interchangeable. Okay. Some, degrees, some of the paths have the word counselor in them. Like you can be a licensed professional counselor. But really, I think the technical term for what, for what I do, for what we're going to be talking about today, is a psychotherapist. And mm-hmm. um, that is, I, in, at least again in the States, and that'll be my reference point as the United States, um, that's emerging is what we call ourselves. But some people sort of like for slang say counselor. Right. Okay. Okay. And so um, my mom's name is Jill Smith. She's got her own business called Jill Smith Counseling based in um, Columbia and Lexington in South Carolina. You have a couple locations, right? When she's got a large staff of other counselors and therapists all under the name Jill Smith Counseling. And you've had this for a few years. And I know before that you also did just regular social work in Columbia, right? Yeah. Yeah. When did you open up your business? In 2003. I just, like a lot of people, I just wanted to see if it would work for me. I knew I was drawn to work by myself. I had worked in other practices and loved it, but I had ideas about how I wanted it to be different. And I was fortunate enough to be able to try it. And really liked it. And I said, I started to sort of figure things out and get my sea legs. As we say, I decided to try to hire some other people. So I slowly started adding staff and expanding what we do and where we are. So, yeah. Yeah. So we asked um, some listeners for some questions and we have some questions and, um, but I did want to say a lot of people think that I know a lot about therapy or like about, mental health because I grew up with a mom as a therapist, but actually you didn't, you had a different job until I was nine or 10. And then you went back to school. Um, you worked kind of in education for a little bit and then went back to school. And then you were a social worker working with different organizations in Columbia. And I don't think you started like counseling individual clients until I was like well into high school. So 
And then you really started the business right before I left for college. So I think you've done a lot of this while I wasn't even home, right? Right. I was a late bloomer, you know, to figure out really what I wanted to do in life. The first half of my career I loved. And you're right. I worked for public television and public radio. Fun fact before we get into the questions. (laughs) Mom sent me to this like preschool that was connected to the public TV that she worked for. Oh, I don't know if it's like the SVT version of Sweden, kind of like the public access TV. Mm -hmm. Um, And the catch was that like sometimes they brought in cameras whenever they needed like footage of toddlers. And then (laughs) like sometimes sit like sometimes for real. If you turn on like ETV in America, there's like me playing. No, that's not true. Yes. With like a narrator being like toddlers are very social creatures or whatever. And then it's like me. (laughs) Meredith. I am very starstruck at the moment, and I think we're going to have to see footage of this. <laughs> it's got to be very old footage now, but uh, yeah. yeah. Sometimes I remember being at home once and my dad just being like, you're on TV. And I was like, oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> my goodness, that is a fun fact. Thank you for sharing this. <laughs> uh, maybe we can dig up footage. But anyway, um, do you want to ask the first question, Zainab? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Let me pull it up. I was curious about the difference between therapists, counselors, psychiatrists, psychologists. Um, I mean, you touched upon this fact a little while ago, but I would love, and I think our listeners would love a little bit more clarification on it. That is a great question. It is confusing. Um, I I feel like the mental health field has really grown in the last 20 years. And I think we're going to start really improving our vernacular and the terms that we have used. Um, but I think a, just a very quick way to think about it is the top of the food chain is a psychiatrist. And a psychiatrist is a medical doctor, just mm-hmm. like a surgeon or a heart doctor or your primary care doctor. And usually their primary focus is to prescribe medicine. Mm-hmm. Now we have Tons of medicines that can help us if we have mental health issues and they're quite complicated. There's lots of different classes. And so that's their level of expertise. And then the next step, I guess you could, if you think, if you want to think about it as a, um, you know, stair steps or a ladder is a psychologist. They have more training than a psychotherapist. And they're to me, my, their sweet spot is testing. If you have behaviors and challenges that and we can't quite figure out what's going on, just you're a little bit more of a complicated person. Psychologists have a range of tests that they know how to administer that really help us hone in on what's going on and mm-hmm. not waste time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then you have therapists slash counselors underneath that. And um, I would, I guess I would also add that, all of these categories can talk to you too. They're like, if you go to a psychiatrist, if you go to a psychologist, some of them do engage in talking with you about what, you know, like ideas that could help or what's going on. But usually you go to the therapist or the counselor to really do most of your talking. Mm-hmm. And do they all, I mean, I guess it differs in different countries, but um, like when I first started therapy um properly in 2015 um i had a psychiatrist that prescribed ssris and then i also talked to 
a therapist. And I, I don't know if she was a psychologist or psychotherapist. I don't think I did that much research on her. Um, but yeah, and then they would sort of talk to each other and see how things are going. But um, is that always the case? Or uh, do you, like, can you opt for just having um, a therapist? Or yeah, how does that work is something I'm curious about. Absolutely. You can pick and choose your path. It's almost like, I mean, maybe a good analogy, but if you decide to improve your physical wellness, like you can, you can hire a trainer or you can just go to the gym or you can go to classes or you can find something online. You can absolutely pick and choose your combination. So lots of people just have a therapist that they meet with frequently and talk through things. Mm-hmm. And then others add a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And a lot of times your therapist will recommend one or the two, you know, like let's get somebody else involved. And, but it's always ideal if you have more than one person working with you for them to be talking. Mm-hmm. And that's, another, that's another way for you to advocate for yourself is to mm-hmm. ask them if they're talking. And if they're not to ask them too. I think we're moving to this idea of a medical home. And in, in the States where it's really encouraged that mm-hmm. doctors do talk to each other and um, avoid that stress. And also it's not efficacious if you have multiple professionals that, and you're trying to be the go-between, that's not really fair to the patient or the client. Mm-hmm. So we need to do better about that, but yet definitely ask for that if it's not happening. I think something other people, I don't know how many of our listeners go to therapy and how many like don't or have never thought about it or just listening for entertainment but if you've never been before and you're you don't really know what a session is like or I I know a lot of people get really scared they don't know what to talk about um like what is a session like I've actually had multiple like I had one therapist who like wouldn't say anything she just like (laughs) stared at me in silence until I talked and then I found that super scary and I've had others that like ask a lot of questions and Others that talk a lot and others that talk a little. Is it like personality based? I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Then um, I've been thinking about this and what I would say about it that might be helpful. To start with, I think the best thing to do if you want to go to therapy or one of the best things to do is to look at reviews online, look at their therapist's online presence. Mm -hmm. If you, if you want your therapist to have an online presence, that could be something you don't want, you know, and so you're looking to see if they're very, quiet and and sort of reserved from that perspective but the but the biggest thing is to ask your friends people that you trust people that you click with you know who who do they go see because just like anybody therapists have all these personalities just like you're saying Meredith and different approaches um some are very quiet and I guess I could use the word distant Mm. some kind of show up as friendly and warm and bouncy and kind of playful and then there are there are others that maybe are a little more scholarly and researchy based and um but to my mind the best the best combo would be a combo of all three of those Mm. someone who knows how to sort of titrate what's needed and what's appropriate and to make your time the most effective um yeah but yeah, but then but then you were really asking a little more specifically about what happens in therapy. Yeah, I guess what happens in like if someone comes to talk to you for an hour, like what is it? Do y'all, I don't know. 
Are they on a couch looking at the ceiling? Are you like on a couch on two chairs looking at each other? Are y'all having coffee? Yeah, for the I most know. part now, absolutely, because it's such a mystery, right? We're behind this closed door and what mm. does happen in therapy? For the most part, we're sitting in two comfy chairs at a comfortable distance talking. The couch yeah. is still there, but it's really an antiquated idea that that is more associated with early days of psychoanalysis when Freud was doing his work and so on. But um, yeah, we're just talking and we are typically having a coffee or a tea. Mm -hmm. And it's the therapist's job to guide it. So you don't have Uh, to know what's going to go on. You don't have to what? You don't have to know, like you don't have to be in charge. Like, oh my goodness, what if I don't know what to say? Or what if there's too much quiet? Or what if I get lost that you should have a sense that your therapist is going to sort of be in charge of the session and guide you or check in with you and help you. Yeah. You know, and if they don't do that, that maybe it's not a good fit. That's, that's really good advice because I've definitely had multiple friends um, who they either had therapists that were super silent or, mm-hmm. as you said, distant. And they felt really, I think they went once or twice and they felt really overwhelmed and kept trying to come up with things to say. But then that caused them more sort of anxiety. Um, and, and that's what they ended up focus on, focusing on rather than the, like actually expressing why they were there. Um, so that's really helpful to know that it's a therapist and then I think job people, I think people give up because they're like it was yeah. horrible like I didn't like it I had a therapist that kept giving me the same worksheet every time like I don't know if he kept forgetting he'd given it to me but he would be like fill in this worksheet whenever you feel anxious and then I had that woman who would just not speak to me she also made me try the couch looking at the ceiling and eventually I was like I don't this isn't working I mean it took me a long time and I I found mine through family and friend recommendations, but I think a lot of people as normal as it is to go to therapy, it's still, some yeah. people don't feel comfortable writing on Facebook, like looking for a therapist. If you have recommendations, yeah. I don't think people are there. And I think it's cultural. Like this is my experience. So I could be wrong, but I felt like going to therapy was not something you talked about in the UK. Like mm. I men- I mentioned it to some friends, like, why don't you talk to a therapist about that? And it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I'm not, I'm not that bad yet. Like that's not that things are that bad. Like I don't need to go see a therapist. And I was like, Oh, okay. It's not like, I think it's more accepted in like the United States right now that you, that you see a therapist. Yeah. No. I can relate to that. I think in Sweden, it I have never seen people be so open about mental health and um, as our listeners know, and um, I was in this art school for two years and it was a lot of young people in their late, like 1920, early 20s. And I mean, everyone's been to therapy. They're all talking about their different medications. You know, it was just so open. Whereas when I was growing up in Turkey, it was just like, it was such a taboo. And I mean, I don't know who was going or who was not going, but um, it was just like, if you were seeing a therapist, it was like, there was something super wrong with you. And you probably didn't want to talk about it with anyone. Um, And even now it's a little bit better. um, But yeah, I still feel like it's much more accepted in certain places than others. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I agree with everything you guys are saying. <laughs> and, um, I want to add, I mean, I can I can get down, go down a rabbit trail in this kind of thing, so do not let me do this. And, I, and I'm going to make sure I don't do this. But 
when you start therapy, one kind of fun way to think about it is that your work begins before you even walk in the room. And by that, I mean like when, um, if normally when you get in, when we get into a situation or you mean like the, the Royal you, I don't mean like you guys, you, mm-hmm. when you get into a situation where you're uncomfortable, if normally what you do is sort of exit and not say anything, then it could be, could become a challenging time to start doing something different. Like to say to the therapist, you know, which is hard and absolutely most people don't do this. So no pressure, but to you know, to ideally to be say to the therapist, I'm thinking about pausing here because, I'm not sure why, but I'm not comfortable or I'm annoyed that you gave me the same worksheet you mm. know, all the time. And I, it feels like you're not paying attention or what have you. And it's just, you, you might still exit, but it's kind of like that. The inner exploration can kind of begin at that moment. And it yeah. is a gift to your therapist. If, if, you know, they're a good therapist, which most of us are, you know, we want to hear those things like, Oh my gosh, we're totally misattuning. Mm. And, and so, but that's hard to do. What I just said is hard to do. So again, no pleasure. Just an idea. Um, yeah, I've always been curious actually about how therapists respond to feedback and say um, you've tried a few different therapists and you're kind of irritated by them or um, or you have to sort of break up with your therapist. Um, as someone who's yeah. a chronic people pleaser, I get so stressed when I have to end a therapist relationship and I'm always like, I don't want them to hate me. Like I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, did it, I'll, like I'll kind of make up excuses about it that are not related to um the therapist's relationship um I'll be like sorry like financial issues or I'm really busy right now you know and then like try to get out of that situation um so yes I've always been curious to hear what it's like from a therapist's perspective where like do they get upset or like do they just kind of not care and they're like okay I have like 30 other clients it's fine or On the wait list yeah yeah so I'm, I'm kind of curious about that. <laughs> Do you get offended if somebody's like, this isn't working? Like, has someone, has anyone ever been like, this is not working or like, I'm leaving or like, I want to try a different therapist. Like, do therapists get offended or are they like, sure we do and that's you know again that's bad wait you do get offended you but it's good it's bad and good because (laughs) if you really are getting into like a, a good thing with your therapist your therapist can then and and your therapist is doing their own personal work and we have some jargon that we use and it's called self as therapist so if your therapist is doing their own self as therapist work and they've created a safe space they can say that, I don't know if we would use the word offend, but we might, you know, that offends me or that hurts me or I'm sad to hear that, that I've, that you are mad at me, you know, but I'm so glad you told me, you know, let's talk about how we're missing each other because I'm working so hard over here and, and you're telling me that you're, you're, you know, Fire me to use Zainab's term. I think you use Zainab. <laughs> and wow, what what's happening here? Mm. What are we misunderstanding about each other? How can I be different? How can I? How can I, meaning the therapist, you know, learn and get better from this experience? And maybe how can you keep sharing? You know, maybe this isn't something you normally do. Is like tell me this that what I did that offended you, and then you're off to the races. I mean, then you're really doing. Um, some deep work, right? Mm. And so just coming in and reporting about your week 
you can actually use your relationship with your therapist. And we kind of call that transference and countertransference, but, and you have to have boundaries around all this, right? We don't just totally let it go. And, and, you know, it has to be done with care on the therapist part because we're the professional in the room. So we're very being very careful about what we're saying and what we're, it's always for the, it's always to help the client. Mm. We're not doing our own personal work on the client, but we're using ourselves and our honest reactions and our, and our genuineness in a way that will help the client. So, you know, it can be beautiful. It can also be really messy mm. and young. Oh, but I love to hear this. It's so interesting because I, I mean, even with therapists that I, I tend to bond or do much better work when the therapist also um, like mirrors me in some way so I can get some sort of confirmation about like, you know, what they're kind of thinking or feeling Um, like the distant approach maybe works for other people. But for me, I just end up feeling like I have to impress them, like to get them to be entertained. And again, that probably says a lot more about me than the therapist themselves. But um, so it's really interesting to hear like the process that you guys go through and um and you know being able to share a little bit and I always really appreciate it when my current therapist like she'll be like yeah like I've had a similar not she won't like overshare I won't have to deal with her problem but she'll be like I have a similar relationship with my mom and and I can relate to this a lot and to me that feels really sort of like oh I'm not alone in this and you know um I don't feel so isolated so but yeah it's so fascinating for me to hear the kind of work that goes on inside my therapist, like inside the therapist. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I guess one story that came to my mind um, when I was trying to figure out different therapists and, um, or dump, having to jump a therapist is that we were doing um, Zoom and I actually found her through. Um, so I was kind of curious about like Jungian psychotherapy. Um, and so I sort of found her through a network and, um, and we started working together. And then I think three sessions in, I noticed that she had this cat and it would always be like, just really distracting. And then instead of being like, maybe I'll shut the door or like maybe not have the cat or it just seems super unprofessional. Like she would just like take the cat on her lap and be like petting it. And then like, just kind of like really focused on the cat. And I was like, I don't really need to see this right now. And I'm paying like a hundred dollars an hour. Like I don't, I don't need to see this cat video. But with, but with zoom, you can't be like, I'm moving. You can't be my therapist anymore yeah. because you can't. <laughs> I just, I, I think I was just like, oh, sorry, like I'm going back to school, like uh, have to focus on my savings or whatever. Money and troubles, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Put your cat on your own dime, lady. Yeah. <laughs> I, listen, I agree. I mean, I think what, you know, if we're asking people to come into our office and be aware of everything inside of them, they're also going to be aware of everything happening in the office. And we have to be aware too, like, you know, not have some annoying tick or habit or sometimes if I find that I'm doing something that, or if I wonder, like, I can't really think of a good example, but there's some, no, there's so many. Sometimes it'll be three o'clock in the afternoon and I'll look up and I have three coffee cups and two waters next to me and like a melting diet Coke. And I'll be like, okay, I bet this is really gross. Right. And I, not only do I mean it, but I'm sort of inviting, sometimes I might annoy you and I'm, I'm aware of that and I care about that, you know, and so I'm, I'm with you at the cat lady. <laughs> 
Thank you. I feel very validated. I, I would um, <laughs> Can I ask an offshoot question that we haven't um, planned for? But I was just curious, like, do you ever not like clients? Like, are you ever like, oh, is, is this client coming in? Or is this, is this a question I can ask and she'll answer? Is that professional to answer? I don't know. <laughs> But or or not you specifically, Jill, but do therapists in general, will they be like, oh, like, I really just can't stand this person or or not? Or if you do, do you keep working with them? That that is such a good question. You know, honestly, ideally, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a, I have to think sometimes before I really even know what my answer is. But the short answer that comes, of course, you know, we do click with with some people more easily than others. It, but honestly, it's kind of a joy to, to talk to all different sorts of folks. And even those we don't click with, to sort of like be curious about why don't we click with them. And maybe that's part of their issue, you know. And I'm not saying if, if we don't like someone, it's their issue. But you know what I mean? Maybe that's yeah. helpful, mm-hmm. right? Or is a bit abrupt or rude or, you know, gosh, you know, wouldn't it be – I'm feeling that. So I wonder how I could bring that up and reflect back to him how it's going for us. And could that help that person? You know, I guess it's sort of like if you become a therapist, you enjoy people and you enjoy mm. people and you're curious about them. And I think that wins in general. Mm. Yeah, on occasion, there's just a bad fit. And mm. I think everybody recognizes it. And sometimes even if we bring it up, and try to use it, we can't get there. It's just not a win. And so it sort of, you know, we sort of evolve away from each other. Mm. Oh, that's also a really interesting answer. Yeah. I am. Yeah, Cause sometimes I've definitely thought about like, Oh, like, do I want to in the future, like pursue becoming a counselor or psychotherapist? Then I'm like, I don't know if I like all sorts of people. I get easily irritated and have a lot of pet peeves. So I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know if I'm cut out for it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's a really good answer. Um, I have a question. And again, maybe you don't want to answer this, but sometimes like, you know, it, we're on the phone talking about like COVID or like, you know, the fact that you can't fly over or we're talking about something super serious or upsetting or sad or like you'll be, you know, whatever, we're human, we're having like a human conversation and you'll be like, I have to go with clients here. And I'm like, now she has to like stop thinking about whatever this is or like put it on pause. Like, I don't, I don't know how you do that. How do you do that? That is another great question. Honestly. Sorry, we didn't give you any of these beforehand. No, I love <laughs> that question. And again, like I, if I had my ideal, I would sit and think overnight and then come back with, with the, the really, the I think there's a correct answer, but a really well thought out answer. I want to say it's just being a professional and being practiced, you know, doing this for so many years. And I also want to say that if we, if you allow yourself to truly listen to your client, which it's easy, just like any of us, you know, our brain can float away in another place and be talking. But if you allow yourself to really listen, you quickly get very present. Uh-huh. You know, and maybe that's just part of it. You know, your therapist isn't always a hundred percent, and and um, there's another opportunity for everybody to work in a different way. But yeah, it's very real. It's very real that I'm not always, or sometimes just simply not rested. You know, or but yeah, that's a great question. 
uh, it also really helps me think of my therapist as like they're human too. They're going through COVID yes. as well or whatever, you know, thing, other things as well. But yeah, I guess it must be such a delicate balance between like living your own experience, but then also focusing on your client and not having them have to take on that burden, whether like, like if you're distracted and looking out the window or something and then it's like, Oh, like, um, so yeah, that's such a, that's such a good answer. Um, yeah, I guess I also wonder, like, do you ever, um, like what does a typical day look like for you in terms of the number of clients and also like, do you feel drained or kind of going off of what Meredith asked um like do you feel drained um emotionally do you need to do a lot of self-care to maintain your sort of presence and yeah like how do you um how do you manage like the day-to-day and then your own sort of emotional place a lot of times I don't feel drained I Mm -hmm. I you know it's again if you're if you kind of are taking care of yourself professionally and like learning and growing and and your confidence is growing. It's, it's very energy giving to do this Mm. work. Okay. um, But self care is so important. So not over scheduling, you know, whatever your individual load is to pay attention to that. Mm. I think as most therapists, we're naturally caregivers and we like to say yes. So learning to say no, like I can't do more than X number in a day. And a mm. day is simply like a work day. You know, we might do five, six, seven sessions in a day, mm. yeah, but maybe not five days a week. Like there might be a day when we don't book at all or a day when we only book half a day so we can do our documentation and follow up with other professionals, do a training, take care of ourselves, and just rest and talk to our colleagues. Just find that balance. Mm. Yeah. Oh, very cool. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like spamming your mom with questions, Meredith. Like, no, like, I'm curious fine. about. They're totally off the like off the books at this point. But I'm just so curious. <laughs> so I think it's an. Yeah. I think the interviews are better if you like go like you don't just stick to the list of questions. Yeah. As a former journalist, I get very annoyed when someone does an interview and they like super stick to their questions I had beforehand even if mm. the person says something really interesting like oh yeah that happened to me one time I got like stung by a scorpion and they're like next question yeah <laughs> <laughs> well okay can I can I riff on that one of the questions that you guys sent me was like what um I think was something like you know what if I don't have anything to say hmm. yeah you guys just answered that question <laughs> if the therapist is present those are the best sessions because if the therapist is really helping you be present and you guys are tuning into each other, then it goes in a really natural direction and it's just priceless because what comes up is what comes up and then you follow that and then you follow that as a, and there's nothing wrong with if you've had a crisis of the week, you know, which we all have, Big crises, little crises, you know, we got fired from our job or we're worried we'll get fired from our job. You know, whatever it is, absolutely, it's valid to bring that in. But a lot of people do say, well, maybe I should pause because I don't have any, I don't, I'm not in crisis. Mm -hmm. And Meredith, to your point, when you say, well, what made you think that, um, you know, that's had to be crisis driven? Or I don't even know what my comment would be to that question. 
I might even say, I don't know what to say to that, which I do say all the time. Then, and we start just laughing and talking and then, then, and we're following that scorpion sting or whatever the thing is, then it's so helpful. Mm. And much more, I think, of a growth moment than going, okay, I don't have a crisis to come in and present and then walk out and leave. Then um, that feels sometimes fake or, or mm-hmm. not as helpful. Thing. Yeah. But, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely get like crisis performance anxiety on a week where I don't have a particular crisis or something to report on. And then I'm like, Oh, now what do I talk about? And yeah, but I mean, some of the best, like, um, like deep therapy sessions I've had have been on those weeks where it's just been kind of a meandering conversation. And then like you said, the things that come up, come up and then I'm always surprised at where we end up. So yeah, but that was really helpful to hear. (laughs) Maybe I should also note that my mom is not my therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I'm not? I would not have, I would say any any good therapist would not. I mean, even even if there's someone remotely connected to me somehow, I mean, my cousin was looking for a therapist and, and, um, I was like, maybe my mom can refer you to someone, but you know, she can't be, she can't be your therapist. Yeah. Right. right. We have to have boundaries like that for sure. Um, so we had some other questions from listeners. They were really good. So maybe I can pull some more of those. Um, I think this was a really good one. Um, they said, I get big anxieties, but I also get everyday smaller anxieties. Like, am I actually on mute? Can they see just this window on zoom or also my private chat? Because you can, on, on Zoom and stuff, you can say, like, just show this screen. Like, just show the viewers this. But, like, are they also seeing where I'm typing out my notes? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, can they just see this window or on Zoom or also my private chat? Did I just come across rude on that call? Mm-hmm. Like, are those kind of thoughts normal and how do I deal with them? That was a listener mm-hmm. question. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, anxiety is a is so common and it's a huge thing that we deal with in therapy. So, there's obviously not like a tip or a bullet point that is going to be the answer, but it's still worthwhile talking about. I normalize it a lot for myself. Like I'll say, this is normal thing for my brain to do. And um, it's my brain's way or my body's way of trying to keep me safe, trying to keep me from not embarrassing myself or not insulting someone that I don't want to insult And so you can literally say, think to yourself, you know, thank you brain for checking to make sure I'm on mute and remembering that that's important or thank you energy or thank you universal or whatever you want to, whatever works for you. But I've checked and I don't need that help anymore. So just like we do, if we've had enough, you know, pie to eat or if we've had enough, like if we're exercising and our body says, okay, now it's time to rest. It's like, we listen to that. Like I don't, I'm listening. I don't need that warning signal anymore. So I'm not going to give it any more power and um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about it. Now, sometimes we still can't turn it off, but that can be a part of, of the internal exercise that you, you know, just thank, thank that force and then dismiss it. So don't shame yourself or like, Oh my gosh, there's my anxiety again, being more like, Hmm, you know, it can be helpful appropriate doses and so I'm gonna use that and then and then you know like if if one of the things like just to say with Zoom, 
maybe you can even take it a step farther. Um, and like if someone is saying to themselves or their worry is saying, I'm chatting with individually, but oh my gosh, what if I accidentally hit everyone or whatever that thing is on Zoom, you know, but you can sometimes say, you know, maybe I won't even send that snarky comment on the individual chat. You know, maybe, maybe that's another thing that it's not helping. The worry isn't helping me, but neither is this comment. So let me just put them both down right now. It can be helpful. So thank it, put it down. And then maybe what can I learn from it? Am I doing something that is making me nervous? So let me change my behavior. No, but I love that approach, you know, like just to be like, just to use this. I mean, I know there's such a wide range of anxieties, but to even use like the smallest one as a little like, you know, like, oh, you know, I feel a bit anxious about this, something I'm about to do, like what's going on, like just like a little opportunity for a check in. Or is that the way that you might ca- I love the way you that. I love the way you summarize that. I mean, we think with anxiety, a lot of the, you know, anxiety comes from several places. A lot of it is, is biological and, and generational and a lot of it is taught, but we also think a lot of it is, is biological and it sort of stems from our, our bodies releasing adrenaline from when we needed to run from animals or have that extra mile in us to go gather food. And we just don't need that anymore. And, and that reframe can really help me. Like it is my body giving me too much of something that I don't need. And so it's not necessarily the enemy, mm. but, but it can feel like that. So just sort of thanking your body for trying to protect you, but then saying, I'm going, I'm not going to give it power anymore. I'm going to really mm. work to not give it power in this moment or maybe, you know, maybe later while my walk, I'll let myself really immerse myself in this worry. But then when I'm done with my walk, I'm going to put it down until my walk tomorrow, just sort of beginning to feel a little bit stronger and more powerful than your worry is. Oh, I love that. Um, another question was that this listener said he really liked Zainab's meditation story in the last episode. And um, he says, I'd be really interested in other non-drug approaches, coping mechanisms, i.e. Uh, rub my thumb and I rub my thumb and finger together to calm me down. It looks weird, but it works. Yeah, there's some that I think we were that, that you know, I guess probably every therapist sort of has a little collection that they use when people are looking for this kind of solution and who is it right i mean it's just nice to have some things in your back pocket and um so a couple that i do rely on are giving yourself like um a personal hug we call it or maybe a butterfly landing and that one a butterfly landing so you kind of put your hands oh zainab's doing a heart but you can put your hands <laughs> together like like so, and I, I don't know if you and Zainab can do a better job of explaining, but like palms facing you and then you cross your hands and sort of connect your thumbs and then you can wiggle your fingers like a butterfly. And then you can lay your hands in that position across your chest, like right under your chin and give yourself a hug, you know, and remind yourself that all is well and that you're here for yourself and you're going to get through it. You can do like fluttering fingers and... Mm-hmm. That's the butterfly landing part. You know, okay. that's very calming. And you can also push that in that little areas like around your is it your clavicle bone or the bone right right here. You know, and just you know, you know, just giving yourself a little pressure point. Another one is is finding this spot little spot between your thumb and your pointer finger 
that little fleshy spot. It's just a way of grounding yourself. Sometimes anxiety and depression makes us feel dissociative or, so these are little techniques of just grounding that I'm here, I'm alive, I'm well, I'm going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And one other I'll mention is uh, five, a five senses trait. What are five things I see right now? What are four things Mm -hmm. I feel, you know, the, the, my, the feel of my pants, the feel of the chair, the feel of the pillow behind me, and so on. What are three things I hear, two things I smell, one thing I taste? And then I always like to end with one thing I think, and, and I often use all as well. And again, you know, as you can as you can tell, I'm sure a lot of these things are based in that mindfulness notion of if we can pull ourselves into the present moment, usually the present moment is just fine. You know, what, what is so challenging is worrying about the past or ruminating about the past or worrying about the future. Um, we have another question from one of our listeners, um, and that is, what advice would you give a non-anxiety sufferer to help them support their partner, friends, or family who do suffer from anxiety? That's so important to talk about. And oftentimes they're not the ones in therapy or, you know, so it can be kind of a lonely place when you're someone you love is really suffering or really um, stuck in repeating patterns of worries or, and I think that I would say to educate yourself as much as you can um, to support them. You know, that's what we do for people that we love but not to give over to it, like to maintain your own boundaries mm-hmm. and your, I guess your internal locus of control, like just because your partner is worried, you know, you don't have to live in that world and you don't have to solve their anxiety either. So you're not in charge of them. You're mm-hmm. not responsible for them, you know, helping them and you're not, responsible for making them feel miserable for being anxious because that's not going to help anybody, but you are in charge of yourself and your own responses. So focusing in that direction, I think, I think can be huge. Like one time I, I got really nervous for a flight and we were in the airport and I was really, really nervous and he wasn't nervous at all, but you know, what are you going to do? I mean, uh, you, the, I think the worst thing you can say is don't worry. Like, don't worry. The plane's fine. Cause it's like, okay, thank you. That didn't do anything. Um, I mean, what are you supposed to do in that situation? Because you, you can't leave the airport. You can't, um, you can't, don't say don't worry. Cause that's like the most annoying thing ever. Like, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, I think you're right. Cause you know, if you think about it, don't worry. is like, is like somebody telling you how to do you. You know, and I think that's why it's so annoying. Plus, you can't just not worry. Um, but it's certainly his intentions are good. You know, he's trying to say the right thing. And that kind of counts, too. But, yeah, I think just saying, you know, I hear you or that sounds really hard for you or I'm glad you're telling me. Um, to me, those comments that I just said are more me focused. Like, I'm glad you're telling me. I'm willing to hear some more about it. Um, you know. I hate it for you that this is so difficult, but I'm not worried, you know, and, and that's my reality. Um, is it okay if I tell you why I'm not worried? You know, those kinds of things to me feels like I'm not trying to solve you. I'm not saying, you know, 
this is so stupid. Why do you do this to yourself? I'm just sort of telling you how it goes for me. And then there's a place where I think after a bit you can lovingly ignore. It's a phrase I use a lot. You know, it's not like a ignore, like talk to the hand, but it's like, a, okay, you know, but I'm going to keep reading my book, you know, and I, I hear you, but I can't fix it. And I, but I'm here next to you. I'm not, I'm not abandoning you or shaming you, but I'm also not owning it and giving it power. You know, you got to go, you got to go listen to your, to your Tales from Amygdala podcast that you loved and started watching. And I don't mean you now, I mean another person, you know, or like go to your sources of strength, listening to Zainab and Meredith or, or, you know, doing your butterfly landing or. He was like, I promise if we land, we were flying to New York. He was like, I promise if we land, I'll buy you donuts. And I was like, <laughs> well, we're going to die. So it doesn't matter anyway. You can promise me diamonds. Like it doesn't matter. We're never going to get there. Like you should have gone for the diamonds, I think. I mean, I know I was like, I was like, whatever, it doesn't matter. Because <laughs> yeah. you were gonna land. I mean, we obviously did, but <laughs> but I, I was I was not entertained. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah so he was trying to use some humor, and you know, and sometimes that does kind of work. But I think I think many times for. For us anxiety sufferers, and of which I'm one, we, back to that still face, having someone who cares, who's attuning, who says that that sounds so hard, you know, or, oh, I'm listening to you, honey, I'm right here. That can mean everything. I'm not fix it. It's not going to go away like a big eraser board, you know, where it just takes it away. But knowing you're not alone, that someone sees the real you and you're safe enough to share your deepest, you know, this doesn't make sense. Worry is very reassuring and healing. Yeah. I just wanted to say that I love those responses because I think I've talked about in a past episode, some of the things that were really unhelpful were like, um, like invalidating kind of statements like, Oh, like, why are you anxious about this? Yeah. Or when I was going through like long-term anxiety, someone being like, um, like you have so much to be grateful for. Like, why are you anxious? Like, you know, or, or things that are sort of like blaming and like I said, invalidating. So it's just really lovely to hear things that are helpful from a therapist. So yeah, <laughs> thank you for that. So I think that is going to wrap up our Q&A portion also because my mom's on vacation. She wants to get back to her vacay at the beach. Um so is there anything you want to wrap it up with, like something we didn't ask that you want people to know about therapy um, that you wish people knew before they walked into your therapist office um, or just like anything you want to leave people with? Absolutely. I, let me say thank you. I have enjoyed this so much. It's just really an honor to be here with you too and to be asked to do this. I think being in therapy has changed my life and I would just like to share that. I would love for folks to hear that. And if you're on the fence or if you're considering it to try it and not to give up until you find the right person, being in therapy has allowed me to see the world in a different way and to love myself in a way that I never thought I would to forgive myself. I've made so many mistakes and, um, you know, been through so many versions of me and sometimes it feels almost 
like too much to make sense of. And that does not feel good. And so therapy has allowed me to reflect and to learn and to show up. And it has honestly changed life for me. So I know that sounds really heavy. Um, It's also fun and funny and you should be able to laugh with your therapist and, you know, I think, and be playful. There's a, there's a place for all of that. Um, But I just want people to not be afraid of it and to give it a try. I think that's good advice. I love that. Thank you so much. And yeah, thank you so much, Jill, for coming on our show. It's been really eye-opening and amazing for me. So for me personally, but for us. It means a lot to me. It really does. So this has been Tales from the Amygdala with Meredith, Zainab, and Jill. Uh, We were so excited to have her um, on our episode and to share all of her wonderful insights. Um, If you guys have any further questions, if you have any reactions or responses, please get in touch with us. Um, And if there are enough questions, maybe she'll come back for an encore episode. Um, So yeah. Repeat appearance. Repeat appearance. So yeah. So it was really lovely to get to meet your mom, Meredith and to get to talk to her so yeah i'm glad i'm glad this has been fun yeah thank you guys for joining and see you next time bye thanks guys bye 